This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Mars is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mars, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing and Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to a boxing champion. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mars wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about some off-season hockey topics because the news has uh, ever so slowly uh trickled down to just just a little stream uh when it comes to the nhl and the golden knights but we still have a lot of things to talk about today we're going to talk about some unanswered questions about the golden knights some things we still want to discuss when it comes to this team and its outlook going into next season, whenever that may be. Um, I, of course, am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights Review Journal beat reporters. On the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, it's been like a peaceful week for once. I know. My dog ate my flip-flops, so I haven't been able to like go full into like off-season mode with just like the shorts and the sandals and... And all that sort of thing, but it does finally feel like we're in an off season. Yeah, we are definitely in chill mode, which is really nice. But like I said, we still have some things to talk about today. Before we get to all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Pepsi, Indeed, and Favor Shot, drink of favor.com. Uh, you can also check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We're still pumping out stories for you guys. Dave has had a lot of good stuff over the past week uh, and of course if you could rate review subscribe whatever you do to podcasts please do to this one so as i said the bulk of this episode is going to be us just kind of talking about questions we still have when it comes to uh the golden knights and the nhl i got 10 of them written down basically after you know some painstaking research over the past week uh and the number one question i have dave which luckily we got somewhat of a window into, thanks to a very talkative Golden Knights owner, is uh, when will next season even start and what will it look like? And Dave, in both his conversation with you up in Montana and then a uh, conversation on the Vegas Hockey Hotline here on the radio, Bill Foley sure seems to be dropping a few hints about what we might see next <laughs> a year. A few. Uh, well, I can tell you this. Uh, I'll just say someone... Uh around in NHL circles or whatever had contacted me 
Um, Bill Foley's interview, especially on the radio, created quite the firestorm in uh, not only the NHL offices, but throughout Canada. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to go back to the interview that he had with me, he had said and believed that the season was going to start February 1st, as opposed to the January 1st target that Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, uh, deputy commissioner of the NHL, had, had kind of stated was the target for the league. And then he also said, Bill Foley, that he thought it would be like a 48 or 56 game season condensed because they have to finish it before July when NBC is going to be broadcasting the Summer Olympics. So they don't want the crossover. So he thinks it's going to be condensed, which, I mean, as we've kind of talked about, all sort of goes into the reasoning, at least from the company line, for why they decided to keep both goaltenders, that they thought it was going to be, you know, condensed. The interesting thing on the radio with Brian Blessing, our good friend on Vegas Hockey Hotline, the other day was Bill Foley slipped and said, so let me actually say the whole stuff. I'll give the whole background. So they were talking about Nate Schmidt in the trade and Bill Foley was kind of asked sort of in passing about while well, trading him within the division and seeing him next year and all that sort of stuff. And his response was, yeah, but he'll be playing in the Canadian division. Like what? Oh, oh, hi, Canadian division. Well, anyway, this got around and certainly obviously our friends up North, um, were very interested in, in the idea of all seven Canadian teams playing in the same division, but it totally makes sense. There's border issues. And, and if you go back and listen to the, to the original radio interview, he, he, this is all talked about, you know, these are, these are things that the NHL has to solve here in the next couple months. And if the border is closed, maybe the best way is to have a Canadian division with seven teams. And then you've got 24 teams, maybe three divisions do it kind of geographically. I mean, you know, we're all kind of at the mercy here of, of what's going to happen in terms of, you know, the health and, and safety of everyone going forward. So if they decide to play and that's how they have to do it, certainly makes sense to me, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, it's obvious that, you know, nothing that Foley's talking about is probably finalized. He's probably just going through what's kind of being discussed in league circles. But as you pointed out, like, this all makes sense. I mean, obviously, it makes sense that the league would want to be done before its major TV partner, NBC, uh, wants to go wall-to-wall with its Olympic coverage. It makes sense that it would want to wrap up at that point, too, kind of in you know June, July, next summer, because then it gets them back to kind of a normal timeline for the 2021-2022 season when, oh, by the way, you have this uh, brand-new expansion team called the Seattle Kraken coming in, and so you probably want to give them a normal timeline to launch, uh, you know, that franchise. And obviously that would leave you some time to, you know, do the expansion draft well ahead of the start of the following season and everything. And as you pointed out, the Canadian division also just makes all the sense in the world, because otherwise with the kind of border restrictions going on right now and the travel that might entail, I mean, that just seems like a logistical nightmare Whereas because you actually have, unlike, you know, Major League Baseball, which had one Canadian team and just was like, okay, well, it's just way easier to move you to Buffalo, basically, for a year. (laughs) The NHL has enough Canadian teams to make it work and actually have uh, the math work out where if you make a Canadian division, 
you know, you'll have seven teams there and then basically three eight-team divisions that, you know, I don't haven't drawn the map up uh, exactly how that would work out in my head, but it could make sense. And so certainly I think it'll be interesting to see if Foley's words prove uh, prophetic, and I think that they certainly could. Now getting to more kind of uh, Knights-centric topics, like so we've got a bunch of more questions here, and I think the primary one that we dived into on last week's podcast, but I want to repeat it now that we've had a week more to kind of uh, mull it over and digest it, uh, is the Knights have basically, for all intents and purposes, completed most of their major off-season moves. They're still slightly over the salary cap, so there will be some adjustments that ultimately need to be made. But the big moves this off-season have clearly been they re-signed Chandler Stevenson, they let Nick Cousins walk, they let John Merrill walk, uh, they basically said, Derek England, we're not bringing you back. They traded Paul Stasny, they traded Nate Schmidt, and of course the big move is they signed Alex Petrangelo. So with all those pieces kind of, you know, in place either in the Golden Knights puzzle or being added to other teams' puzzles. Dave, are the Knights a better team now than they were when they started the offseason or, you know, when they were, when they uh, walked out of the Edmonton bubble after losing in the Western Conference Final to the Dallas Stars? So my simple answer is yes, with a big but. Uh, I always think about the Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Let's talk about your big but. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, beautiful. In, in the butts are a couple of the things that we'll we'll talk about going forward here. It's you know some of the center depth and some of the chemistry and 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 questions like that 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 I have on paper though to have the starting goaltending that they're going to have to have the upgrade in Alex Petrangelo on the blue line if Cody Glass is able to produce at the same you know rate. We'll talk about this. At Pulse. Yeah, simple answer is on paper. They're a better team, but there there's still some questions here, and that's I think that's kind of where we're going with the whole podcast and in, in general. Yeah, there are definitely some still interesting, I think, holes you can poke or questions you can raise about this roster. But I do agree the fact that you know next postseason, whenever it is, and we obviously expect the Golden Knights as currently constructed to be a part of next postseason, unless something crazy happens. Uh, the fact that you can play Alex Petrangelo for like 25 minutes and play Shea Theodore for potentially another 25 if you don't put them on the same pair together, which I would expect the team would not do that. I mean, that's pretty significant that you could basically, you know, have those guys uh, eat up that much ice time. And then obviously you've got the forward group, which um, is pretty deep top to bottom still with bringing back Stevenson. There are questions we're going to you know, raise and talk about because that was the group that severely underperformed, especially late in the postseason. But there's certainly a lot of talent there. And then you're bringing back Robin Leonard, who overall was uh, pretty, pretty good in net for the Golden Knights and having him for a full year rather than just a three game cup of coffee in the regular season and the postseason could certainly help out the Knights. Uh, so with that said, if they are, as we think, slightly better and they won the Pacific Division last year, uh, you know, this question might be awkward because as we just talked about, things might just get completely jumbled and out of whack. But if we assume that the Pacific Division exists in some way, shape, or form next year, are the Golden Knights favored in your mind to 
win their third title in four seasons. Okay, so the only caveat would be if they're playing in the same division as the Avalanche. Because I think those those two teams, after sort of the dust is settled, and I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like the Stars, even though they had their run, I I just I feel like that was their run. That that one year, I, th- I feel like their window is going to be very narrow, even though they're going to be in it. But I, the Knights and the Avalanche, I think, are the clear favorites. You know, right now in the Pacific, the Western, the the whatever we want to kind of call the 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 division going forward. Um, and you know, in terms of like competition, and I, you know, I don't know, I don't like, I don't feel Edmonton got appreciably better. I think they're a good team. I think. McDavid and Dreisaitl and and some of the, you know, top end guys that they have are going to carry them in the same way that they probably did last year. But they didn't improve their goaltending necessarily. They didn't make a major move on the blue line or anything. So I don't feel like Edmonton, I, I guess maybe Calgary, if you feel like Markstrom is an upgrading goal and they can continue to like get a better season out of Goudreau and all that, you know, I, I guess those teams are around but for me, and I guess if you walk down to, you know, the closest casino here in town, uh, uh, I would think the Golden Knights and probably the Avalanche are clear favorites out west. I, I I think the other team that I would mention, too, that I feel like took a step back is St. Louis. Even though Krug's in there, I, you know, I, I feel like that team also, you know, took a step back. So for me, it's about the Knights and the Avalanche and whether the Knights can just kind of keep this all together for what might be a, a short season, like basically kind of like one of those lockout type seasons that we've seen, seen in the past. Yeah, certainly if it ends up being a really condensed schedule or a shortened season, that could, you know, affect things. But I mean, on paper, the Knights certainly still look just super, super strong. And we mentioned that we thought they got slightly better this off season. Well, that was really hard to do for a lot of teams with the flat salary cap. A lot of teams had to make, really difficult decisions. So as you kind of alluded to, Dave, I mean, I think about a team like Vancouver that got Nate Schmidt and Nate Schmidt is, I think, kind of perfect for, you know, what Vancouver wants to do and fits a real need for them. But they still had Jacob Markstrom walk. They still had Chris Tanev walk. They still had Tyler Toffoli walk. Now, I think there are, uh, outside of Toffoli, I think letting those other two guys walk for the contracts they ultimately signed is a very defensible long-term decision by the Canucks, but in the short term, I think that's a step back for them. I mean, you mentioned Edmonton re-signed Mike Smith after basically striking out on everyone else in the goalie market. You know, I think that was a real missed opportunity for the Oilers, so I don't think they're appreciably better. And like I said, maybe it's the Flames, because they actually were the ones that signed uh, Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom, but they also let TJ Brody, who was one of their better defensemen, walk to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm not convinced that they're, you know, it's it takes a lot of, I think, faith in the Flames and what uh, new coach Jeff Ward, who was the interim most of the year after Bill Peters was uh, or resigned. Actually, he wasn't fired. He resigned basically in disgrace. Um, but it takes a lot of belief in the Flames to really think that they can overcome the Knights. Now, maybe they will because it's going to be a 48 game season potentially and things are going to get weird. But I think we're in agreement that the Knights still look like the class of you know the pacific teams who knows if they'll actually be a division next year and certainly i think in a clear top two with colorado out west now let's get to one of the key questions for the knights uh, as to whether they will live up to 
kind of the the heavy potential we're ascribing to them right now, which is the mix that they now have in the locker room. And I think it's really easy to uh, sometimes dismiss, you know, a lot of uh, the kind of intangibles stuff that, that goes on, especially in any team sport. But hockey, I think, you know, can get dropped into this mix, too, where it's really hard to, you know, ascribe exactly how much meaning having good chemistry, having a good room uh, means in the NHL. But the Knights are the ultimate example of that. It does mean something because the inaugural season team was the ultimate example of, you know, a team that was more than the sum of its parts and how getting basically everyone in the locker room to pull in the same direction allowed all those guys to achieve more than anyone ever thought they could individually. Now with that, being said, a lot of those guys that were in that inaugural season locker room have now left. Nate Schmidt has been traded. Uh, John Merrill signed elsewhere. Uh, Derek England uh, was basically told by the Knights that, you know, we're not bringing you back. And Paul Stasny, while not part of that inaugural season team, was a respected veteran in that locker room, and he got traded as well to the Winnipeg Jets. Now, Alex Petrangelo certainly uh, isn't going to be a guy that really disrupts the locker room or is going to be, you know, dragging guys down there. He was a captain in St. Louis, won a Stanley Cup as a captain. Uh, so certainly his leadership pedigree is uh, pretty unquestionable at this point. But it is going to be different in there. And I guess how do you feel about the mix that they have in the locker room right now, Dave, and whether that's going to ultimately affect things because we even t- even talked about the fact that you know there's another guy from the inaugural season in Marc-Andre Fleury who's still with the team uh, but certainly I would expect uh, has a little bit of a different role in there moving forward yeah so like I'm going through and I'm counting the original Golden Knights that are remaining I got Carrier, Fleury, William Carlson, Mark Chisot, Braden McNabb, Tomasz Nosek, Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, Alex Tuck. So that's nine. And it's weird because it 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 seems like, oh, that's still a lot. And yet, you know, you see the turnover. And I guess, you know, we'll we'll get to this question next, but this whole issue of chemistry is the biggest question mark for me. Because everything looks good on paper. They've got goaltending and they've upgraded on the blue line and they can score you know they can score enough up front maybe make up for it a little bit more on the blue line through their system and the way that the defensemen jump up into the play and now that you've got Petrangelo back there who's you know a mid-teens goal scorer a potential 40 to 50 point producer you know you can get enough offense all of that sort of stuff it, it, it all looks good on paper but the way that this is all going to be mixed together feels very combustible to me. You've got one, you've got a goaltending situation where both guys have said they want to be a starter. And Marc-Andre Fleury gives an interview to the French paper in Montreal and basically says he understands that he's going to be the backup and all that sort of stuff. But what if he's playing really well? What if Leonard maybe struggles a little bit? What if Leonard maybe needs like a week where he gets hurt or something like that? And Fleury comes in and plays really well. Well, then what happens? Because Leonard's clearly the starter. What kind of tweets are we going to see at that point? You know? And then there's also an element, too, of 
just, you know, I, you know, I don't want to put too much into this and and I'm going to spoil a little bit of the, the, we're going to talk about the captain here, but you know, you've got some different alphas in the locker room now, you know, that first year was kind of like, you know, Mark Andre Fleury was sort of the, the fun loving guy. And James Neal was a little bit of the alpha kind of, you know, keep everybody in line, the accountability and all that sort of stuff. And now you've got Mark Stone, who seemed to kind of be emerging as that. You've got Alex Petrangelo. You've got different elements that are that are involved in the locker room now, and you don't have, I guess, any of those, you know, maybe fun sort of joking personalities, keep things light when things are, you know, a little bumpy. You've got Nick Holden, and you've got Marc-Andre Fleury for that sort of stuff. But, you know, I... Maybe I put too much into it, and I, I certainly don't want it to be because, oh, he's a great quote or anything like that, and it's not that. But I feel like there are certain personalities that every locker room needs. And you need the goofy, you know, keep everybody lighthearted. You need, like, the John Merrill who's, you know, going to be the guy that, you know, plays the music and and keeps everybody vibing. And, and every, those personalities are glue. When When – coaches and, and general manager when they talk about glue guys like that's what that is and the knights don't really have that right now or or they have i guess a diminished element of that and so my biggest question as as we talk about all of these things my biggest question going forward is how is that chemistry gonna gonna work sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. I know I personally was watching football basically all Sunday with a bunch of my friends uh, over FaceTime now, because of course, that's how we're doing it, socially distanced. And I know I needed a caffeine pickup right as those afternoon games were hitting, and I reached for a Pepsi. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to say, and I think we touched on it last week when we talked about Schmidt, of you need the guy that, you know, when you're in the midst of a, you know, your three-game losing streak or just some tough stretch of the season, because anytime you go through a long NHL season, you're going to have a rush, rough patch. It just happens, you know. That's the kind of variability of playing that many hockey games. And having that goofy personality sometimes can help recenter or refocus people and kind of get them back into a positive, you know, mindset and playing potentially good hockey again and then get the team back to winning. Now, obviously, someone could rightfully point out that, well, if you're the Golden Knights, just don't get in that position because you have so much talent that maybe you shouldn't be losing three games in a row. But we'll obviously see how it breaks down. And that leads directly into uh, my next question, as you said, Dave, was who's going to be the captain? Because we heard Preet DeBoer in his kind of exit interview right after the Dallas series say, yep, still naming a captain next year. And I think, you know, during the pause, we did a whole podcast kind of breaking it down and going through uh, our kind of made up odds and everything. And Mark Stone was obviously the clear, clear favorite. But because this was done a while ago, we didn't factor Alex Petrangelo into the odds. And as I previously said, he is a Stanley Cup winning captain, uh, which is obviously uh, something that's pretty impressive to have on your resume. So do you think that he worms his way into the conversation now that he is officially signed and a golden knight? Or do you still expect it to kind of go to Mark Stone and maybe Petrangelo takes Schmidt's A and we go from there? I love that you used the word wormed his way in there. That's great. Um, Okay, so here's here's the whole thing. Like it seemed automatic and Mark Stone was being groomed to be the captain and they were trying to like put him out there, you know, a couple times after losses. Like, dude, you got to go take this. This is your going to be your job going forward. Get used to it. This is all part of it. And and you could tell that, that that's sort of what was going on. But here's the thing. Mark Stone never seemed entirely comfortable in that role. Mark Stone seems to me... Like he just kind of he he likes to be a leader. If he's wearing an A, cool. And if he's gonna has to has to speak up, absolutely. But some of the other things, the media stuff, the the taking it all on your shoulders, and and those sorts of things that a captain kind of has to do, it never seemed fully like Mark Stone. I guess walked in those shoes very well. It seemed like there was a little bit of a pebble in there that he was never just quite comfortable. And then you hear Alex Petrangelo talk to the media for a half hour and one talk about how I'm going to make Shea Theodore a better player. I can make these guys better player. I want to make sure everybody's on board winning because that's the number one thing for me. I interview, you know, basically Bill Foley and I'm like, is this for real? You know, are are you really about what like everything about him just exudes a captain and he's so comfortable in that role. And I don't think he's going to take a back seat in terms of leadership and everything. If Mark Stone is named captain, Alex Petrangelo is not going to have a fit. He's not going to like stomp around, but he's also not going to like, you know, step on Mark Stone's leadership. That all that being said, it's going to feel natural after a while for all of us if and when we're in that locker room. When we start interacting with Alex Petrangelo versus Mark Stone, it's going to be very different. You can just tell 
There's just one that's very comfortable doing the speaking and doing all that sort of stuff. And Mark Stone just wants to win. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like, I, I don't say this is, is anything wrong, but it's, it's just funny to me because after a half hour, everything that I thought before about, oh, Mark Stone's going to be the captain, I went, oh, oh. And I even put a poll up. I put a poll on Twitter just to see what everybody thought. Which I was curious. And it was an absolute landslide for Mark Stone. It was like 80-something percent or, or whatever last I looked. I couldn't believe it was that far, whatever. And everybody's kind of commenting, saying, well, you know, you can't just put the C on the new guy. Okay, I get that. And that's fair. And it probably won't happen. But it's going to be interesting to me going forward because, like I said, you've got one guy that's very comfortable in his own skin and very comfortable in that role and has done it before. And you're going to have somebody else that's going to be new to it. And and it's going to be an interesting contrast, I think. Yeah, I don't think Petrangelo, whether he ends up getting, you know, the C ultimately or not, is going to basically make sure that he's part of, you know, whatever leadership group the Knights have. I mean, you mentioned he reached out to Shea Theodore like basically right away. I mean, I think he said he was the one who ultimately reached out to Mark Stone uh, to talk, you know, kind of before his introductory press conference. I mean, he talked to the Stasnys before coming here. He talked to the Reeves family before coming here. I just, as you said, I think Petrangelo isn't going to be afraid to speak up. I don't think he's going to be afraid to talk to people behind the scenes. And you can just tell, like, you said even from that press conference where you know he wished a member of the uh, st louis media who had recently been battling COVID 19 well i mean just the attention to detail that he has is clearly something that stands out about him and so i wouldn't be surprised to you know see him maybe take on some extra duties even if he's not the official captain um so moving to a couple you know, on ice questions now that we still have about this team heading into next season. The big, you know, trade off that they ultimately made because you could say, okay, they definitely upgraded going from Petrangelo to Schmidt, even though Schmidt is a perfectly good defenseman, maybe a kind of low end number one defenseman. You know, you're going to more of a high end number one with Petrangelo. But to do that, they had to go from Paul Stasny, who you know, obviously throughout his career has probably been a very consistent number two center. Maybe now that the offense is kind of slipping from his game a little bit, he's a solid, you know, middle six center, you could more say. And you're going to probably a more unproven guy in Cody Glass, who played a lot of right wing, actually, his rookie year, had 12 points in 39 games, I believe. And so your center depth chart is just a lot less proven you know, we're talking about maybe they're going to start going Carlson, Stevenson, Glass, Wah, or they could go Carlson, Stevenson, Glass, Nosick, and have Wah be like a potentially third line right wing. Um, it's just, you know, a different mix, a less necessarily, you know, experienced mix when it comes to especially kind of, you know, high level hockey in the playoffs in big roles. And there's not necessarily that guy that you point to immediately and say like, oh, you know, this guy is the one that's taking that key face off either in the O zone or D zone late in a one goal playoff game, because that was always, you know, Paul Stasny is he was the one that they trusted to kind of win that key face off. And now they don't necessarily have that guy. And so do you think, think that this depth chart is still good enough to win a Stanley Cup, Dave, especially with the wingers they have? 
Or is this going to be something that we're going to be questioning all season? So this would be number two, I guess, on my list of questions is just, are they good enough down the middle? I don't, to win a Stanley Cup, I don't think they are. I'm still a believer in the whole, you know, you kind of build your team down the middle stuff and and centers and the importance of all of that. And I think William Carlson is a perfectly fine, you know, 1C or kind of 1A and all of that. But I feel like they're asking a lot from Cody Glass or... Maybe it's Peyton Krebs. I don't know. Um, to take a step up, take a step forward in their development and be a guy who basically matches the production of Paul Stasny becomes, if, if we're talking about a full season, becomes a guy who is like a 40 to 50 point guy who you can put in between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, you know, and produce and, and that sort of stuff. I think Cody Glass very well may be able to do that, but I think it's a big ask. And then the other thing is you're asking Chandler Stevenson to basically do what he did last year, and he's never done that. And not that he can't go forward and continue with the opportunity presented with him in the system that Vegas plays, which may suit him better than what was going on in Washington. But again, it's unproven. And I think if you're just looking at it on paper and you're saying down the middle, once you get to the Stanley Cup level, if you're talking about, and, and again, we're going to get to this, not to spoil it, but you know, you're matched up with like Tampa Bay. And if you're running into, say, Stamkos and Braden Point as centers down the middle, how do you match up with that with, you know, William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson, Cody Glass, Nick Waugh, or maybe Tomas Nosek is in there involved? I, you know, I don't know. For me, that it was a big sacrifice. And if you get the production out of Cody Glass and or Chandler Stevenson, then then you have to think you're gonna be better going forward. Those are big question marks for me. No, I agree. And you know, you brought up Tampa. I mean, even talking about who we think is gonna be their number one competition in the West in Colorado, I mean, that's Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri. And, you know, do I think Nathan McKinnon's better than William Carlson? Yes. Do I think Nazem Kadri? is probably going to be better than, you know, either Cody Glass or Chandler Stevenson, probably. So that's going to be interesting to see whether they just kind of say that they're okay with that and they trust, you know, their wingers to kind of carry the load and get it done from that point or whether they, you know, ultimately decide to do something during the season. That's going to be really fascinating. And then to go to the wingers, but this obviously includes the centers as well. You know, one of the other big questions about this team, especially after the way they exited from the postseason, is if is the finishing on this team still going to be an issue? And this is more of a playoff question than a regular season question. Uh, but the Knights were 21st in team shooting percentage during the regular season. And so far this offseason, their you know, big marquee acquisition uh, was a defenseman who had a you know very similar shooting percentage uh, despite scoring a career-high 16 goals uh, to Nate Schmidt. So it's not like they've added uh, some big sniper to lift their team shooting percentage. And uh, Paul Snazny, who I believe uh, had a 12.5% shooting percentage last year, was actually you know above average when it came to the Knights just because uh, he didn't shoot that often. So uh, when he shot, he tended to take higher percentage shots. So you know, with the way this team is now set up, where they haven't exactly added you know a, a Mike Hoffman who's actually still on the market or you know a guy like that who you just think is going to start firing away from one of the circles and will you know score maybe a little bit 
more often than you know the numbers would indicate he might do you think that might rear or that is the potential to rear its head again dave when this team gets to the postseason yeah i think that's a fair question i for three years i don't feel like offense necessarily has been you know their issue you know i I think they scored goals obviously the first year i think the second year you know i'd have to go and look at the numbers maybe that was a reason that they took a little bit of a step back finished third and in division that season, I don't know. You know, maybe there was a couple things this year, you know, offensively. They, they, they do seem to go in spurts where they're just not scoring or not finishing. Maybe you hope somebody like Cody Glass, because he's a playmaker, kind of a, a setup guy, can unlock a defense, that he can create maybe some more high percentage shots for guys. You know, maybe Max Pacioretty, if he's skating with him, finishes a little bit more, you know, certainly 32 goals and the pace that he was on, it, it was more than you could ask for, or certainly lived up to Max Pacioretty's $7 million price tag. But, you know, maybe certain things like that on a power play, maybe Alex Petrangelo helps you a little bit there. I, I don't think, you know, necessarily offense, I guess, has, has been their big, big bugaboo. But I do think maybe the finishing on this team is always going to be a question and, and until you get a guy maybe, you know, who, who's kind of a pure sniper and a pure goal scorer. You know, it's always going to be something that they have to prove that they can do. Yeah, I mean, the big thing that Pete DeBoer said, I think, in his, you know, last interview of the season was this is an excellent team in transition. And we know that they're so good at kind of converting defense into offense, basically like, you know, a transition team in basketball. Uh, But they're not as good at the end zone offense, the, the half court to continue the basketball analogy. And it certainly doesn't seem like they have that guy yet but we'll see whether that's just something they're able to fix through kind of repetition and practice because i know that's something that you know pete DeBoer has said that he thinks uh this team needs to work on so i imagine it will be addressed in whatever kind of training camp they are able to hold uh now we've already touched on this a little bit but let's just address it uh with a direct question which is you know how much of boon do we ultimately think this goalie tandem is going to be in the regular season. We've already talked about how it certainly might lead to some interesting locker room questions with how Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard are going to play with each other. You know, are they going to be able to kind of or play nice and not have any issues for an entire season? But, you know, on paper, the Knights were 23rd in team save percentage last season, uh, which is, you know, a far cry from, you know, even... The 9-11 save percentage from the Knights' inaugural season, which ranked 11th in the league. I mean, it feels like that's, you know, definitely a possibility that they could exceed or match that 9-11 mark with this tandem. And if, you know, there we are going to have a condensed regular season with potentially some back-to-backs or, you know, three games and four nights and everything like that, how much of a luxury is this tandem going to be, Dave, even though I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, a tandem the Knights exactly envisioned starting out with when they began the offseason. Well, certainly for $12 million being allocated to it, at least in terms of salary cap hit, it better be pretty good. I mean, I think, you know, a couple weeks ago, you had a really good stat and we were talking about the goaltending and, and all of that, but, but it was the backup goaltending that we were mentioning. And I, I forget the number exactly. If maybe it was like 17, 19, and 4, something in that neighborhood. Of, of what the Knights' record was when 
somebody not named Marc-Andre Fleury had played the last couple of years. And I think you took Robin Leonard out of there as well, which basically kind of just spoke to their backup goaltending the last couple of years just had not been good enough. And that was part of the reason for the trade and, and why Malcolm Subban was shipped to Chicago. And I think Kelly McCrimmon was very blunt and honest and candid in his assessment that he just didn't feel like they were getting it done in that regard. So if you figure that, whether it's, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, I guess, being the de facto backup is an upgrade from Malcolm Subban. And if you feel like Robin Leonard is an upgrade from what Marc-Andre Fleury had been as a starter the last couple of years, which had been at least statistically in a couple areas down from what he had been the first year with the Knights, you have to figure overall that that's an upgrade in net and that they should be better. And that's part of the reason I think for, at least for me, when you talk about the optimism and them being the favorite in the West or the Pacific or however this, you know, all lines up uh, to me, a lot of that is the goaltending. And and if, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is motivated, healthy, rested, and, and potentially in, in like a shortened season where you can just kind of use it like a sprint and you're not really worried about the endurance of 82 games and, and you can just go, you figure that that's going to be the Knights' biggest advantage probably going into next season. Yeah, so to pull up that stat that you mentioned, the, the Knights, the last two seasons are 17, 19, and 5 when Fleury uh, and Leonard have not started. So removing those two guys from the equation, uh, the Knights are very... Uh, mediocre franchise and of course they are basically uh, president's trophy caliber uh, when Leonard and Fleury start so if you're actually able to kind of coax those same performances uh, out of those guys for an entire season uh, it certainly would point to the Knights having a lot of success we'll just have to see if that's actually ultimately how it plays out Um, now I'm just going to get to kind of our last question here because we've already uh Talked probably plenty for this episode, but we mentioned Tampa. We mentioned Colorado. Uh, there are going to be some other, you know, key contenders for next season's Stanley Cup with, like you said, the Blues are definitely not going to be out of it just because they lost Petrangelo because they replaced him with the Bruins' Tory Krug. Uh, the Bruins' last season's President's Trophy winner are certainly going to be still competitive. Uh, the Penguins and Capitals, always competitive, even though they've had their recent playoff struggles uh, the Capitals re- added Henrik Lundqvist as their backup goaltender, and they have a new coach in Peter Laviolette that I think is certainly uh, going to potentially boost that franchise. Um, but when you survey kind of the teams that are out there, and a lot of those teams have had to do work this offseason just to get camp cap compliant, and the Lightning still have to do work and make subtractions to get cap compliant, uh, you know, where do you see the Knights kind of fitting into uh, the global NHL picture that is out there. Pretty high up there, I have to say. Um, help, so help me. I mean, okay, obviously, I would put Tampa as the overall favorite. I think the Knights and probably Colorado are right there. Maybe that next tier. But you know, help me out. Like, I feel like Boston took a step back, if, especially if they lost Chara, if if he's going to, to whether it's retire or signs elsewhere, who knows. And they lost Krug. So I feel like they're, you know, they're not as good. Maybe you feel like the Islanders, if if they get crazy good goaltending, if the Sorokin guy is is the real deal or something like that. But I still feel like when you just look at the broad picture and where the Knights have been, the upgrades that they made, the fact that they were in the Western Conference Final and, and 
are a team that at least like we talked about on paper should and and look better. I mean, I would have to to rank them, you know, what top three, if not, you know, right there with Tampa as the overall favorite. Yeah. I mean, to your point, actually, the, the I'm looking at uh, Vegasinsider.com right now and the top three are Tampa, Colorado and the Golden Knights. They're all at seven to one to win the Stanley Cup. And they're the top three teams. And then after that, you've got the the Bruins, the the Flyers, who uh, had a very strong uh, season under Elaine Vigneault. The Capitals, uh, the Maple Leafs, who kind of you know treaded water maybe this offseason. You could say they got maybe slightly better, but I don't think by a lot. Uh, same with the next couple teams they're tied with, which are the Blues, the Penguins, the Stars, and the Canucks, which I think the Canucks actually got uh, some favorable odds there. But, you know, I think to your point, it just shows that, hey, the Knights are right there, you know, at the top. And you can certainly make your arguments for teams within that group in terms of, hey, the Lightning are going to make some subtractions potentially as the offseason rolls around here. Well, they also won the Stanley Cup when their captain, Steven Stamkos, basically played two <laughs> minutes yeah, the entire yeah. postseason. Oh, just real quick. I was just going to jump in and say, I mean, clearly if you're the Knights and you feel like, you know, a guy like Alex Petrangelo was available and maybe some other teams are taking a step back and all those sorts of things. And we can take a step forward. I think that's why they were aggressive. I f- think they, they see an opening. They see some of these other teams that are, you know, maybe in salary cap difficulty or, you know, their windows closing, whatever it might be. And the Knights are able to make an addition and, and feel like they're able to capitalize on kind of, the, I guess, the landscape, like you mentioned, of the NHL. Yeah, I was going to, you know, point out the comparison that, you know, is interesting to me right now as someone who likes watching baseball and is following baseball. It's a lot like, you know, the the Dodgers adding Mookie Betts. Did the Dodgers need to add Mookie Betts this year? You know, the Boston Bruins star was one of the best players in baseball. No, but they did it anyway because they thought he was an elite talent who could put them over the top. And that's certainly the case with the the Knights and Alex Petrangelo. Uh, we talked a lot last week. Like, did the Knights need to add Alex Petrangelo? I would certainly argue no. Like, they didn't need to. But as Kelly McCrimmon kind of said, we saw him as an elite talent. And when an, a guy like that is available, we go after him. And, you know, we pursue those kind of people because we think they provide all this extra value that could potentially take us over the top. And we'll see if it works out. For the Dodgers, because uh, we're recording this on Tuesday and the World Series is about to start in about three hours. And we'll see if it ultimately works out for the Knights. It'll all depend on whether all the questions we asked during this show uh, get answered and potentially get answered in positive ways for the Knights. Well, we'll be tracking while all of these things are developing the rest of this offseason and, of course, uh, during the season. So make sure to uh, check back reviewjournal.com for all our written work and then rate review subscribe whatever you do to podcasts due to this one to follow our uh, audio based work uh thanks for listening everyone thanks to uh pepsi indeed and favor shot drink for presenting this podcast uh for dave shane i'm ben goats we are the golden edge podcast and we will talk to you guys again real soon They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot. 
better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.